Welcome to The Other Coast, the Malifaux podcast out of Southern California. My name's Colgan, and joining me today is Jim. Hey, Colgan. How you doing? Hey, Jim. Um, so today, we kind of wanted to take advantage of the fact that you're the only one <laughs> in our podcast that's like actively going and playing in a lot of tournaments. So recently, you had mentioned to me that you had gone to two in-person tournaments. And as we were talking, I was kind of interested in like, the different experiences you have between in-person tournaments versus Vassal and the Malifaux World Series. And I guess kind of contrasting that against your regular play days, because from what I've gathered, um, you seem to have like a fairly consistent group that plays at, I guess, if or with kind of more of an eye on like performing well competitively. Yeah. Um, so a couple things to that. We do have a good group out of titan games and hobbies in uh, north of baltimore and they have been playing the game with a a blend of folks just doing kind of like beer and pretzelsy style approach mm-hmm. and with a more eye for doing well a little backstory for those of you uh, at the time of this recording um, we're coming up on nova one of the largest gaming conventions in the east coast and they have the U.S. Faux Tour, which is uh, across the continental states. It's an organized play that if you go at Nova, they have a, a master's invitational. And it's like it's the idea is to build a prestige and build a community of players playing tournament Malifaux. And it was a great idea. And it came out right before COVID. So it went and disappeared, right? So in-person tournaments haven't been a thing for years because we couldn't be in large personal gatherings for a long time. And I don't know about you, but for me, tournament games have always been like the one of the fun things about the hobby because it's a whole day you can devote to your hobby and interacting with people who share that interest enthusiastically. And I don't know, it's like a break from the norm. So that makes it exciting. It's like a mini mm-hmm. vacation. All this to say, Nova's coming up this year in person for the first time. And one of our locals, Nathan, realized that the Capital City Conference did not have any qualifying tournaments for the invitational event. And so he started hosting what we've dubbed the Summer Panic Series. And so, <laughs> uh, because it's a panic Let's get uh, let's get enough qualifying events so that we can have a representative at, at the event that's being held in our backyard <laughs> to invite people to play the game. Right? It seems kind of silly that we're the ones hosting it and we have no people there. This sounds like a plot for a comedy movie. It has it has been a comedy movie, and let me uh, we'll come back to the comedy elements <laughs> when I tell you about the door prizes. So Nathan, the organizer for the first event and Len who helped him with the second event, Mm -hmm. they have a third one coming up the, uh, a week from the day of the recording on August 7th. I don't know if this will be out by then, but if it is, y'all should uh, sign up. There's links everywhere on social media. And if not, you can ping me and I'll get the link to you. Plugs aside, getting back to your question, we have a sizable community of players who are really interested in playing organized Malifaux. It is, it is an entirely different kettle of fish to the vassal experience that I've had over quarantine. Mm -hmm. And 
it is hard to necessarily quantify it all into words, but I would say that it's a very good experience and I'm excited to be able to get back into it. So were the two tournaments you participated in part of that Summer Panic series? They were. <laughs> yeah, so the, the first event, what, and, and both these events were held at Nathan's house. So part of the issue is, you know, we can't necessarily ask a large store or we haven't mm-hmm. had a large store that we could host an event at mm-hmm. either because it would not be in a convenient place or it would be they would require you to have a certain number of people to come in because that's one of the limitations with an organized play event is you're asking a, a any wherever you play it, you're asking them, hey, give up your table space to our play event. Mm-hmm. Your other customers may not be able to use your space while we're doing it. And you have to make it worth their while, right? Mm-hmm. So often it's either you pay for tables or you pay the store for a membership attendance fee. And that's all well and good in a healthy tournament environment. Mm-hmm. But coming out of quarantine, if I'm being told, oh, the first time I get to do a tournament is I get to drive for however long, pay money for the privilege of playing a game I could do sitting at home or at mm-hmm. my friend's house. And part of what made this really good with Nathan running it at his house is Nathan is a pretty darn good cook. And he insisted on feeding us. Shit. Yeah. Okay. He made sure that we had food, which is another thing entirely because that created a like a half hour period between games mm-hmm. where everyone could just shoot the breeze mm-hmm. and talk. Right. Vassal is great for getting games in, but you don't really just jump in a call with people in Vassal to shoot the breeze between rounds. You don't mm-hmm. get to talk about, oh, how's your games going? Oh, let me look at your paint job. All oh, that's so cool. There's so many other aspects to the hobby that come out in a tournament day. And you don't even get the like some of these you get at a your local game store night. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for me, because of my commute, my local game store nights are I show up, I chat a bit with people. Uh, we get uh, some games rolling and then I roll out of there mm-hmm. with it, with, with having a whole day set aside for it. You can really, you know, explore that element of the social side of the hobby. Got a little off off topic from your question there, but tournaments in general are, a, I'm going to wax philosophical here, mini war games in particular, I think tournaments are part of the bedrock of that game structure, right? It's not like other board games where you have a competition in the board game, and then at the end of that board game, you're done. There are some games that are competitive in the sense of, like, my old standby Red Dragon Inn, right? Mm-hmm. You have a definitive winner and you have definitive losers. And you could, in theory, play multiple rounds of that game because of how quick the games go. I'm sure there's someone out there who could play tournaments of Monopoly, but I don't know that Monopoly is necessarily a competitive game mm-hmm. based on the rule set, just because the game rule set of Monopoly is entirely randomized. You know, it's all down to what you roll, what you can buy, and then predetermined from there. War games, you have pieces moving on a board, you have the random elements, and there's so many factors to consider that impact it, that get it away from an idealized state. Mm-hmm. And we we were talking a little before the event, and I'm kind of jumping around here. Vassal 
is almost an entirely different game from in-person foe to me. And why is that? Vassal has a different approach to maps than I see at most of my local stores. Like I remember when we were setting up the boards, there was that one desert kind of board that had a lot of goopy, toxic sludge pits and cacti and wooden structures that looked like they were out of a, a uh, what is that game? Badlands, the like a Western style thing. Okay, okay. We had the the board that was the jungle themed, right? Yeah. And so those all had like a lot of concealing terrain and they had a lot of blocking terrain, like buildings, rocks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's because, I mean, when you look at what kind of terrain do you see for sale or that people make at the store? Do people ever make terrain at the store anymore? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people like 3D print stuff or make their own things. So what kind of terrain do you see being made usually? Um, Generally like houses barrels like scattered terrain um i know ben made a barbecue pit for of tyranids oh <laughs> so wow. i made a vending machine for the upcoming necromunda campaign that jeff is going to run oh that's awesome yeah with 3d printing there's been a lot of cool stuff that's been coming out okay yeah i we don't have a whole lot of that out here we got one guy who's been 3d printing like tokens like scheme markers and stuff mm-hmm. but we haven't had any 3d printed terrain yet that that sounds really nice. Yeah, they've been printing some pretty cool things. And but like that's a lot of blocking scatter terrain, like you said. Mm-hmm. Vassal maps have a whole bunch of different stuff. They've got a lot of fog clouds, large buildings, big ruins, strangely shaped forests, and terrain like can warp a whole game no matter what system it is. At these events that Nathan was putting together, he was responsible for putting together terrain for three to five tables over two events. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much terrain you have in your basement or, you know, in storage. I don't have enough terrain for one board, let alone five. So he got real creative with, with some of the terrain and it made some of the maps really lopsided. Like Mm -hmm. there was this one map and it had a building that was like uh, average table quarters, 18 by 18 info. Mm -hmm. This thing was like a nine by seven footprint in the middle of one of those quarters. And and I played on that map against someone in flank deployment and I was attacker. So I just put them in that and and they were stuck behind a, a building that was half their deployment zone in, in a strategy where they had to get out and, you know, to score points and they weren't even in the game until turn three. You're so evil. Well, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is also why it's nice running Incorporeal, right? Uh, yes, Incorporeal is pretty fantastic. That's not to knock the organizer for setting up boards. I find that like on game nights, when it comes to board setup, I default to boards that tend to be a bit samey, but I do try and make it asymmetrical, mm-hmm. you know, where deployment matters. I, I know there's some value in having symmetrical boards. Mm-hmm. And I know Warhammer has, or ITC Warhammer has like predefined terrain placement because mm-hmm. my local shop has what they call the, I forget what they call the L terrain, like these L shaped ruins that are put like in the center of each third of the table okay. for their predetermined. And I don't know if it's a set tournament or a um, organized play something or other, 
but I don't know of any kind of predetermined terrain maps for Malifaux that have ever been done. In in live play tournaments, terrain varies wildly. It does impact what I would hire sometimes when you see the pools. Yeah, for sure. So I guess like... I just have a couple of questions in regards to terrain because like I remember like whenever I play Vassal, which is very infrequently, the one thing that always like catches me is that they seem to use a lot of just like hazardous terrain, like barbed wire and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I think locally, or at least like I prefer and we generally don't really have much hazardous terrain, but we'll set up like a lot of concealing, like forest blocking and things like that. So I was kind of curious you know, like your local game nights, is there like a big difference? Like, can you tell like who set up the terrain or is there like a general kind of like agreement on what kind of terrain should be placed for these game nights? Good question. There is no real agreement. It's kind of dealer's choice. Whoever sets up a board, sets up a board. Our biggest thing is usually asking someone who's not playing the game to set up the board for you so that Mm -hmm. there's no overt Oh, I set up the board. I'm attacker. I'm conveniently going to pick the setup that's perfect for me. Not that we have anyone who would do that, except for me. Um, (laughs) We do have people who like certain terrain types. Matt Stanley, one of our players, he has some phenomenal terrain packs he brings with him when he comes to game night. Mm -hmm. Like He has a lava board, so it has a mat and a matching terrain. He'll set it up, and he has different variations that he'll do he just kind of like scatters it about how it looks good at the time i would say he's like the only one that you can tell he set it up a because it's his (laughs) but b it's so visually distinct from the rest of the store's terrain Mm -hmm. it's a real delight to play on it that lava board he actually painted his misaki crew to be all in shadow except for shang Mm -hmm. and have all of them be object source lighting as if they were placed around Shang so he can display them on that board and then they are their bases match the paint scheme matches it's a production and he includes the use of hazardous there I have played with some hazardous in in our local place Mm -hmm. but we tend to not do too much hazardous especially with all the pushes that you have in the game now Mm -hmm. local nights not so much hazardous at these tournaments, we did have hazardous, but it was often like on the flanks or in a deployment zone, so it was a non-issue for most mm-hmm. of the game. I, I think that's kind of interesting to me too, because like when I set up stuff, like a lot of times you'll put things in corners, and they kind of don't affect the game at all. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess like think about train layouts too. Going back to that, I think it is probably a pretty common thing where people don't want to set up the train because I think a lot of people have a fear that they'll accidentally like put everything in their favor. And then if it comes out like during halfway through the game, you you just feel like an ass. Cause like, Oh fuck. Like I didn't mean mm-hmm. to do this, but now I'm seriously benefiting from it. I'm going to put all these things here. Um, don't worry. I won't play, you know, a close combat master on this. And then you roll the pool and the pool's like all the close combat crews. And you're like, mm-hmm. I guess I'm going Parker anyway. And then you accidentally get put into the position. Yeah, it's it's that. And I'm also, I think one thing I had to learn when I was setting up boards for my locals mm-hmm. is this rule of thumb where once you put terrain down, you can clump it all into a third of the board because I think Weird recommends like a third of your board is terrain. Mm-hmm. 
and then you put it out like you just mm-hmm. kind of fill up that third to be like all right i've reached my amount of terrain i need mm-hmm. but when setting it out take a 50 and roll that 50 around and make sure that that 50 can go between every piece of terrain and that creates that makes sure that there's no accidental choke points where oh i'm sorry you wanted to play euripides today mm-hmm. but only one of your models gets to be incorporeal or just run an entire incorporeal crew and then you don't care about terrain yeah i think that's an interesting thing because i i'm like Wondering what the consensus would be, because I think in general, having a larger base size tends to be an advantage in Malifaux. Um, but, you know, the disadvantage is you're not quite as maneuverable. So I'm wondering if, you know, you would think in some cases that like it kind of makes sense that there might be one or two choke points where 50 mils can't get through to kind of, I guess, like even the playing field a little. So I'm open to choke points like for buildings or ruins, mm-hmm. like having a, a doorway that only a 30 mil can go through. Mm-hmm. Cause that makes sense. But like if it comes to a wall and a, f- a size three rock, you know, you can climb over the wall, but if it's a building and a size three rock and there's a 30 mil gap and like, that's where you have to go through to get to the marker. That's just, I think overly punishing to people mm-hmm. who want to play larger base crews. And you can always take, you know, if, even if it's just a 50 mil exactly spaced, between mm-hmm. terrain pieces you still have the option of blocking it with another model or you know dropping a terrain marker that can block movement right so you can still create those zones i do think it makes it interesting if you have a few choke points but if you have too many choke points like i think if you have more than two like i think two is that sweet spot once you have more than two you're cutting down the options that one player is going to have based on where they deploy mm-hmm. to a large extent if i only need to take three fermented river monks to plug the three ways you have out of your deployment zone mm-hmm. or worse yet you take a bass and you just trap spam mm-hmm. i spent 12 stones and you're going to spend two turns in your deployment zone killing clockwork traps have fun i love clockwork traps they're so annoying they are so good. <laughs> they have like two health, but with armor two, it's so hard for anything to kill them in one action. Two hits is, you know, that's a whole activation for somebody. And mm-hmm. spending two activations on, I don't know, any beater to kill a two stone model feels pretty bad. I, I think I've told you, like back in second edition, the Pathfinder, the Guild Pathfinder mm-hmm. was my boogeyman model. Some people, it Leviticus or Lady Justice or nicodem for me a freaking six point model in guild that ruined my day time and again with those traps just holding an entire side of the board for no reason but oh i threw a trap in your face what you gonna do now that they're better because of all the frontier nonsense the nightmares come back is is what it is (laughs) my local ben he's been playing bass two into me and Uh oh oh man I thought that Bass 1 was a solid start for anyone getting into, into the game. I know we talked about it ages ago. Yeah. Bass 2, man, and Pearl, that is a great crew. Ugh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to go onto it just yet. It is wild. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love Pathfinders. I, I think they're such a solid model for their point cost. Like They kind of do everything you would want them to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get free movement, like a really solid gun and reliable too, because they ignore concealing. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like you just don't care about anything. And then, yeah, you can just summon clockwork traps to annoy the shit out of your opponent and mm-hmm. give them free movement too, which is amazing. Give them free movement. Give Jonathan free movement at the start of the turn, just just because he's there as a treat. Oh, you thought you had engaged like anyone in my crew? No, you didn't. No. I'm just going to have the keyword ability from Mercenary for fun, for free. And I can do it twice a turn because, you know, start a phase and during the activation. They're like one of the few. I mean, there's already not many models in the game that have two like bonus actions. But even of those, they're like one of the only models where I'm constantly wondering, like, which bonus action should I go with? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are so good. And I think they have kick up dust, too, right? I don't think so. No, I think oh, they, no, they have, don't have, have trap it. and then follow my path. That's right. I mean, you have enough with with just those two, to be honest. You have so much fucking dust on the table for nothing. Especially now, they don't go anywhere. Oh yeah, if you have like the sandworm. Bastu just says, dust clouds just stick around within an inch of friendly frontier models. Oh, Jesus Christ, I haven't looked at them yet, oh god. And then you just try and like move anywhere in that severe terrain that they just make around you. Mm -hmm. He just drops around you because he can shockwave you with dust clouds that don't go away. (laughs) And then you're stuck with a clockwork trap in a dust cloud and in, in Jonathan's two inch reach. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds pretty miserable. Speaking of misery, um, uh, but no, joking aside, the local local scene building boards, mm-hmm. we, we tend to leave it open enough where people can play gun crews and melee crews and not really like it's not a shooting gallery. Yeah. And one thing that I've heard elsewhere, but I'll repeat here is this new gaining grounds in particular mm-hmm. doesn't have any marker in the center of the board uh, strategies. There, there is no strategy marker that goes in the center. They're all like either a few in- four inches away from the center mm-hmm. or something to that effect, which means we now have an opportunity when designing boards to not have to leave those spaces open. Mm-hmm. I definitely got in that habit of like, I can't put terrain in the center of a quarter in the center of the board. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like created dead spots that had to be in where the terrain is now. Right. Those dead spots are moving. So you can put like a big old building in the middle of the board. And now you have to figure out what you, it's harder to fight over the center, harder to scrum over the center now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested to see what board design starts looking like now that we have a new strategies that enable us to do different things with board setup. Yeah. I guess bring it back to the tournaments too. I mean, I, I think we can both agree that yeah, terrain plays a huge part in the game. And like now you mentioning the fact that the center opens up brings another thing that I never, like, I guess I always knew about, but I never really thought too much about like those open spaces and stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of curious though, cause it does sound like those in-person tournaments you went to, versus like your normal setup at the game night stores versus like vassal which yeah i'll be honest like the way the vassal maps are set up i don't think i've ever seen like an in-person setup like that so i'm kind of curious like does that have like a huge effect on like what crews or masters you generally bring when you're playing in like vassal versus i guess in-person versus tournaments or does it just kind of change the way you play in game and not so much the pre-game i think it's the latter honestly Mm -hmm. and i think that i'm making the incorrect choice there 
<laughs> if if you want to talk about things being correct choices or not, I am so tied to the aesthetic of a particular crew at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. I will probably force a crew into a board where it's not the best because, oh, I want to see how this crew does. Right. And, and that's something that my locals do too. Mm-hmm. I was playing one of my locals, I want to say about two months ago, I had just gotten my Nakima crew bought and I had just built it mm-hmm. and he brought Dashel and we had someone set up a board and in the center of the board were these two big ponds that we called Severe with a little bridge over it right. in between. So there was one of those um, bottlenecks and he was doing Dash 2, so he had Butcher Dashel, but he built it like a Dashel 1 list because there was a bunch of Severe and yes, I'm flying. But there wasn't a lot of blocking terrain, and so his rifleman could go pew, pew, pew all day. Mm-hmm. And then like I dove in, I hit stuff, and I was like, shove aside. And he's like, okay, I go two inches because it's severe terrain. You have two inches because it's severe terrain. And I'm like, ah, oh, beans. <laughs> I'm not actually doing the full distance. It should make me choose different crews <laughs> and play, play smarter to it. But I'm just like, but I just built these. I want to play with them. Yeah, I mean, I... I... That definitely makes a lot of sense. So then I, I guess then in that case, do you find that, do you still have that attachment in Vassal? Since like, I don't, I think part of the reason that Vassal doesn't quite click for me is because I can never like have that feeling of ownership over like my crew because it's just cut and pasted token that everyone else uses. So I have like zero attachment to it. Do you mm-hmm. like find yourself being a lot more experimental or if you're playing like a crew in person, does that just carry over into Vassal and there's not really much of a difference? It's worse. Um, I am <laughs> super experimental in Vassal because I have the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. So back in my, my younger days, I played World of Warcraft like I think a lot of people have mm-hmm. at this point. It, that game's been around forever. My big problem was I would do like the first 20 levels with a, a race class combo. And then I'd be like, ooh, I want to try that combo and explore their starter zone. And like I did that for, I think, just about every horde starter zone to the point where I was playing missions. I was like, I already know what's happening. Ooh, uh, maybe I should not just do the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> that has translated a bit into Vassal, where so like in real life, Mm-hmm. And before that, in the pre-Vassal days, back in second edition, mm-hmm. I would focus in on one keyword at a time. It was a little different, though. Like in second edition, you didn't have keywords per se. You had masters and everything was kind of super frenzy. Like I played a lot of Bayou in second. And in second edition, Sommer was like the best Bayou master next to Wong. Mm-hmm. Zoraida was good, but... Sommer just did everything you wanted. There was no benefit to playing any other keyword because you could hire Trixie Bell, who gave you initiative control, mm-hmm. Francois, and all like the all-stars in Bayou with Sommer, and it all worked because there was no synergy nonsense. Mm-hmm. I would buy... I bought the Ma Tucket box specifically for Trixie because she was that good. And like... Nowadays, because I've bounced around keywords and new stuff's come out and not everything's out in person yet, you know, I'll be playing stuff on Vassal and be like, oh man, this is so exciting. Can't wait to try it out in person. Oh, that that's not out yet. Or, oh, my store doesn't have that. 
I ordered the blood ritual box for my Nephilim crew, the one with Hey Redden and the Black Blood Shaman. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was over a month before I got them in. Mm-hmm. I went to the first Capital City Panic series with just Nakima's core box, title box, and the tot box. Like, that's all I had. Mm-hmm. I could have brought other factions, but I just built them and painted them, so I wanted to play them because, you know, I don't make good choices. I make <laughs> fun choices. It worked out for me. I, I went first in the event, so mm-hmm. but it forced me to try new things. But to answer your question about Vassal, this month in the Trials of Time series, which is using chess clocks, I've been soloing Tony Ironside's Union President. Mm-hmm. I don't own a single MNSU model. <laughs> Tony's bo- title box isn't even out yet. Mm-hmm. I've been having a ton of fun with her, and I think she's being slept on as a powerhouse in the Arcanists, but it absolutely changes my experience and what I'm planning to do when I go to play a game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty similar to you. I keep jumping from crew to crew to crew. Mm-hmm. And like, I've always, well, maybe not always, but envious of people that can just like pick a master and like be happy playing them. Because mm-hmm. it's like so, it's so hard for me to do because in my mind, I'm always like, all right, this is the master. I'm going to stick with them. Like, I really like their mechanic. They play really well. And then after like five or six games, I'm like, oh, this this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But this new next master, like, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is going to be the one. And then like, whereas my wife, like she is very into like just soloing the master. Like she likes the dreamer. She's just been playing dreamer nonstop. She mm-hmm. like understands like how the models work and everything. And like, I always like the feeling of not having to think so much about my actions. But mm-hmm. I only have like one or two games of that before I get bored and want to move on to the next master. Right? For me, it's there's an element of novelty to it. Like mm-hmm. it's different. Like I've yes, I've I've played this game three times. I've figured out how to do the unpack for this Brewmaster 2 build. Mm-hmm. Cool. I got it. I, I got it. You know, I could at any point in time play this crew again and feel comfortable playing it. Right. But since I'm not doing it for an organized event and <laughs> you know, then I can try this out instead. You know, just just for practice, just for practice. And it just feels like it always is a trying to chase that high of figure something out. Yeah. And then by the time you actually go back to that crew that you were comfortable with, you're like, fuck, I don't remember shit about them. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you could be in in my position and like the crew that you finally started figuring out you never had to check the models the cards mm-hmm. it, it becomes the flavor of the month and then you're like ah geez i don't want to play that you know everyone's playing that oh my god the snowflake factor yes yes 100 yeah. i mean i know you for a while were really into hamlin right yeah yeah I, I still like Hamlin. I still like Hamlin. He's been flavor of the month for the last little while. It's gone away now, but I bought Benny finally for my outcasts nice. uh, for um for Parker. Mm-hmm. And I was building the rats and I was like, you know, maybe maybe I could try Hamlin out. And then, you know, we had a bit of a snafu with Hamlin mm-hmm. in the Vassal series area. And I was like, well, that's put me off this. Uh, <laughs> that's put me <laughs> off this keyword for a little bit. I was saying with like Hamlin, I remember because in GG Zero, I think there are a lot of people saying like Hamlin isn't very good. He's not really worth it. He's way too weak. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was like really hard to get Malifaux stuff in general. Mm-hmm. 
And I know, like, I, I think I got, like, the starter box for Hamlin, but, like, I couldn't get it hold of, like, any of the any of the expansion things. So I'm like, I can't really play Hamlin with just the starter box. Mm-hmm. And then by the time GG1 came out and I finally was able to get my hands on all the Hamlin stuff, everyone was like, oh, man, Hamlin's so good now. I was like, fuck, I don't want to play him anymore. Right. And that's something that I was, you know, we can talk about a little bit is is like the getting back to the organized play and the tournament mm-hmm. stuff is is the conversation around tournament settings mm-hmm. in vassal you kind of rock up for your game you have a little bit of talk beforehand but you're going to play your game and you'll probably have a little talk afterwards but it's pretty businessy mm-hmm. you can have some banter but it's it i find banter definitely comes in much easier in person mm-hmm. when when you're uh, in the space across the table from someone and you can spend time talking with them through the day before and after your game. Right. And to me, there are a lot of elements. The Malifaux community and discourse around Malifaux has, has matured to the point where there are talking points. Now Mm -hmm. there are things people are saying that they'll reference it. You go, ah, yes, I understand what you were referring to. And for better or for worse, some of those are about how X model is OP or X master is busted and whatnot. Yes, there are models in this game that are too good and will get nerfed in the future. Boy, howdy, does it make me not want to play that model or master? Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm playing the game, I always try to like hold my tongue if I ever think like a model's too strong or a little too weak because I feel like it can always make the situation a little awkward. Mm-hmm. The social aspect of the game, I think, is a huge part of it. And I think it's a huge part of what I think makes wargaming so unique from other similar experiences, especially when you have people building and painting their own models kind of as like just conversation pieces when you're playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you were mentioning like the difference in like socializing between like your regular play days versus in-person tournaments versus vassal tournaments. And I think for me, thinking about it more, that is also another thing that kind of stops me from, I think, participating in online tournaments of any kind is because I feel like there's no social aspect to it. And I think it's the limited nature of the social aspect makes it so much more stressful to me because Mm -hmm. like I can't see the other person. There's not really any time to get to know them. So it's like I'm trying to navigate this game where a lot of the rules kind of have to be negotiated during Mm -hmm. play. Especially it's like, oh, is this range? Is it not? And then like Mm -hmm. having to do that with someone I don't know, like how they'll like receive things or like necessarily how they interpret things, I feel like is really stressful. Whereas like in tournaments, it's a little bit easier, especially because you should have like a TO floating around to like Mm -hmm. help with any conflicts. And the regular play days, I usually know everyone I'm playing with. So it's like to the point where I already know what crew they're going to bring. I kind of know how they play. And then I can adjust it. Like if I think it's, you know, I can kind of adjust my list as necessary. If I know they're like a newer player, I can bring something a little less cutthroat. Or if I'm mm-hmm. playing against Jeff, I'll bring Fuhatsu and try to ruin his fucking day because fuck Jeff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a I have a combo for you to bring against Jeff next time. <laughs> okay. If you want to cut to that real quick, mm-hmm. and then well, let's finish your question, your statement, and then and then we'll give you the 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 goods. Yeah. So I guess like in in, in general, like what do you feel like are like the biggest differences? Because you, have, I think. God, I forget if this was in the free show if you mentioned it now, but you're mentioning for like the tournaments that Nathan was running as part of the Summer Panic that, you know, he offered to cook and that there was like 
some socializing time in between, which made it a lot nicer. And I feel like mm-hmm. even among in-person tournaments, that's kind of unique because most of the tournaments I've gone to, you have that little break in between, but the only like long break you have is for like lunch. And other than that, I guess like the amount of socializing you have with people that you're not directly playing against is pretty minimal. So I do want to address that real quick. I I do want to shout out, there is a very active, vibrant discord community for the vassal world series and it's the vassal looking for a group discord and i would say that there is a lot of discourse and you do get to know the other players in the vassal community because they're they tend to be fairly active on a daily basis on that discord but that to me is a lot more like your friendly local game store discourse Mm -hmm. than tournament discourse even during a you know a monthly series vassal organizes events over a month gives everyone a week to play one of the rounds yeah there's some people who do some shit talking you know because <laughs> it's an organized game of course there's going to be shit talking right. but to me there is a distinct difference in the in the type of social interaction on a game day in between rounds there's like a certain level of adrenaline and excitement Mm-hmm. That is absent and you don't get when you're communicating with folks like all over message boards. Right. Not to say that it's not a pleasant experience or that they have, you know, it's a good time, not a good time, but it's just different quality of energy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's the biggest difference for me is that the energy mm-hmm. competitively you want to win. So you're like motivated about it when it's a tournament that's in person, you have multiple hours of that day is devoted to spending your brain time on this thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a normal game day, you're probably coming like for me, I get up in the morning and I'm like, I go to work and after work, I have this treat, which is my minis game day. Yeah. And so I am going from a, a workplace mindset to a gaming mindset. Whereas on a tournament day, I'm waking up. All right. All I have today, gaming mindset almost like a flow mindset Mm -hmm. or flow mind state you have heard and or read about the flow mindset yes uh refresh my memory it's that state where you're kind of not aware that time is passing okay it's often referred to as like the ideal state because then you're just like you you also heard here referred to as being in the zone okay okay Yeah, yeah 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 and i find it easier to get in the zone in person when i have other people who are sharing that enthusiasm with me Mm. than I do on a message board over the course of a week waiting for my game or waiting at the local shop for a game night. Mm. Real quick aside, so I know you were talking about playing Yuko for a while. Have you picked up her title box? You mean Yoko or Kirai? Yoko. Uh, I know Kirai, but I think you had talked about Yoko a little bit. Um, I remember a while back I wanted to run like a meme list with her just using all geisha because Jeff said they're terrible, but uh well, all I'm saying is there's this model in her keyword now, Shoujo. Mm-hmm. The spirit spirit. She's an alcohol spirit. Okay. Has incorporeal, right? Mm-hmm. Kunoichi have tools for the job, which is an ability that lets them draw a card from the discard pile, discard a card, get the suit of the discarded card baked into their actions mm-hmm. and they have galvanize on a on a shuriken that has a min damage of one mm-hmm. so uh you take fuhatsu a kunoichi shoujo and then you take 
whichever Yuko you want, probably number two, because mm-hmm. then you out-activate your opponent with free pass tokens. Mm-hmm. You throw Shuriken at Shoujo, who ignores the damage because of Incorporeal. Mm-hmm. Declare Galvanize to give focus two to Fuhatsu. Push him up after Jeff's activated everything, and then go, you know, take two focus shots with Fuhatsu at something. It's uh, it's pretty great. Okay, yeah, that that sounds pretty horrible to go up against. Okay, yeah, yeah. So definitely worth considering. And it's not even using the obvious. Uh, I'm sorry. I can't buy another master. No, I've just stopped. <laughs> but yeah. Although that does bring up something that I think does deserve mention. And um, it ties into what we've been talking about is, you know, we haven't been talking about the specific round breakdown of the events because I don't know that they're necessarily interesting to folks as opposed to like tournament etiquette. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've all been in quarantine for a while now. And I think some folks are really aware or self-aware about how to behave around other players mm-hmm. now that maybe they weren't before quarantine. Okay. I'm just thinking back to my tournament experience back in second edition, consistently really positive experiences. Mm-hmm. I think the Malifaux community has been one of the better communities that I've been a part of for tournament etiquette. I, I think every game will have, as any game gets big enough, you're going to have, some rough stuff. So I think it's really important for players who can learn to manage their tilt to practice it, especially as we get into organized play with the Malifo Burns content, mm-hmm. because I'll be honest, most of the folks in my community do not play as much Malifo as I do. Mm-hmm. This is not to say, you know, anything other than I've seen a lot of gotchas. Mm-hmm. I've experienced a lot of gotchas <laughs> and because I'm, you know, a horrible person, I I experience those and I go, my first thought is, ooh, I want to try that now. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you're a regular gaming experiences, I get one game a week, maybe, at the local shop. It can be easy to get tilted if something happens that you're, like, not prepared for. Mm-hmm. It's easier when you're digital and you tilt to just be like, hold on a moment, mute it, and go curse at the wall or something. <laughs> Then if you're like in the person in front of someone's face and you're like, I very much wish to like uh, walk away from this table right now because I cannot handle what happened right now. I don't know. Is that making sense? Yeah, I think dealing with tilt is a big thing. I mean, I think all I'd want to add is I think honestly really normal to get tilted when something bad happens or something bad happens in a game. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing is to try and figure out and catch yourself when you're starting to tilt because i think i actually tilt quite a bit but i don't think anyone notices (laughs) because like uh, me tilting versus me being very like concentrated on the game i think are pretty similar and like Mm. i've gotten to the point where i can catch myself tilting to the point where i think i'm pretty good about not like displaying it or at least not in obvious ways Mm-hmm. I'll I'll notice when I start tilting because like in my mind I'll start complaining about like stuff being broken or like this is bullshit like mm-hmm. they should have never been able to do this and then like I need to like roll back through the actions and then like in my mind I need to try and like justify like all right do I actually think 
this is overpowered. And it's like, okay, maybe it is. And if it is, it's like, well, what am I going to do about it? It's like, well, I mean, you know, the nothing was resolved incorrectly. This is something that can definitely happen. But like, you know, there's those times where you, you know, you have your plan, you're doing everything correctly. And then your opponent has like made some huge mistakes and then like, all right, I'm going to punish them. But then you flip nothing but like ones or like black jokers Mm -hmm. and you just like burn like three activations doing absolutely nothing and then they have like their little scheme runner like charge your masters in a fine position and they just like you know same thing they just get you know severe against your weeks they red joker damage and like your master's dead and it's just like Mm -hmm. this is is bullshit yeah I, i guess like you know trying to catch yourself and like you know whatever like this happens. There have definitely been times where I just get like kills out of fucking nowhere that I wasn't planning for. (laughs) Yeah. You're just like, well, that happened, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not Malifaux related, but one of the podcasts I listen to is the happiness lab. Okay. It's a podcast. that's about the science of happiness and psychology and mental health and, you know, all those things like overall. Mm. And they have an episode recently about negative self-talk. And I think that tilting is a variant of negative self-talk because you're too busy like ruminating and focusing on, oh, geez, this stuff's all like terrible and everything's ruined forever. Mm. And what you were talking about, it, it came to my mind because you were talking about some of the techniques they were talk they were bringing up to address this. Mm-hmm. recognize and accept the fact that, you know, it is perfectly healthy and normal to react to this way when this happens. Mm-hmm. Pause, take a step back, and evaluate what you can do, you know, what you have control over. They recommended, you know, talking to yourself in the third person, not to be goofy about it, but mm-hmm. uh, humans are, for some reason, really good at taking advice from other people, but not from ourselves. So if I'm like, come on, I gotta, I just gotta do this, and then it'll be fine. That is going to be less effective than me going, okay, Jim, here's what you should do. And I don't know what it is, but it's like a, it's one of those mental. It creates a barrier that allows us to distance ourselves and think a little more clear-headed about whatever it is we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I think that's applicable anywhere in life, and. You know, including miniatures games. I don't think I've ever seen anything that is super tilting to the point of wanting to quit a game, personally. Yeah. I've definitely had games where I get to turn four, end of turn four, and I'm like, there is no point in continuing to play. Mm -hmm. But I think that's different. I would agree that's different. I I think for me, the biggest thing, I think if you are going through tilt, I think the thing that you always want to avoid, or I think you should try to avoid, is verbalizing it because mm-hmm. there's a lot of times like i'll play against someone and i might imagine people play against me too they can probably see <laughs> that in my mind i'm tilting it's like this is mm-hmm. fucking bullshit but like i think as long as they don't verbalize it 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 it's okay just to like everyone knows it happens and as long as you don't like verbalize it it doesn't start obstructing or i guess um interfering with the game itself mm-hmm. but i think the moment you start verbalizing it it puts the other person in like this really weird position where it's like, do I keep playing like I wanted to play and then like just make the situation even worse without, you know, even doing anything malicious, right? I'm just playing mm-hmm. the game how I want to play the game. 
mm-hmm. or do I have to like start pumping the brakes? Do I have to let them win? Do I have to like turn this whole game into kind of like damage control at this point to make sure their mental state doesn't get any worse? And I think especially for like if you're at your regular play day and these people you see all the time, I feel like they're you're pretty much just like locking that person into being kind of your like mental caretaker for the rest of that game if you start verbalizing or like making physical actions or just like i guess bemoaning the entire thing the whole time and i think it ruins the experience and it stops being about the game and it starts being more oh let's make sure colgan doesn't like get even worse yeah so i'm going to take a moment and say i i empathize because i have definitely been there mm-hmm. but i have 100 percent been taking steps to dis to distance myself from that taking ownership of my opponent's reaction to the board state. Mm. Now, I will do everything in my power to be a, you know, upfront and a pleasant opponent and try to avoid gotchas, you know, saying things like, oh, just so you know, if you do this, you know, this is going to happen. Because mm-hmm. I, do, I do believe that a, a good game involves my opponent making informed decisions and me saying, oops, you forgot that I had, yeah, I had this ability that turned off your triggers and you ended your charge 0.1 inches in my aura of it. And you absolutely could have ended the charge outside the aura, but I'm going to get you neener, neener. Right. But, you know, when I was doing Warhammer back in the day, mm-hmm. in long, long ago, we hosted an event and we had someone who was a, a younger player. You know, he was a very early teens. He was playing because, you know, he was playing. He was just the younger member of the of the group, and he could not handle losing his models very well. Mm. And we had an event, you know, his first and only event he went to. And in the first round, he got very upset that his models had been removed. And mm. the TO had to have a conversation with him and say, look, and we worked it out and he has improved and mm. all that jazz. But you're right. It is incredibly awkward to be like, I'm I'm playing my crew. It had a really good turn. You're having a bad turn. I'm sorry. And I, I find myself apologizing for jokers all the time, right? When you're apologizing to your opponent for your flips, mm-hmm. it's a good gesture. But at the same time, I do want to make it clear that everyone's responsible for their the way they respond. And I agree with you. Tilting is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Doing your best to mitigate the tilt and like blaming your opponent is i think part of being a good sport like Mm -hmm. if you can't if you need to take a break tell your opponent and say like let's take a five minute break that is way better than passive aggressively talking about how your opponent who has bought and probably painted an entire crew and put in the time and presumably enjoyment of the hobby into doing so and you're basically pooping in his Cheerios. Yeah, yeah. That's not that's not appropriate. And I think as we start having more or more in-person events, there may be more instances of tilt and just remember that you know, it's just a game. You can take a few minutes to to step away. And honestly, it is not worth getting that worked up over. Yeah, I, I think one last thing I'd want to add is that when you do tilt, I think, I guess we say this a lot, and it always starts to sound like a psychology broadcast, but I think it's really good to 
maybe after the game do some introspection and like figure out like why or like what about the situation caused you to like get so upset because mm-hmm. like for me there's just been some games like i i just have to fucking drop this because there's nothing i can do to fix the reason like as long as i play this game i'm gonna tilt so i just mm-hmm. i can't do this anymore <laughs> absolutely uh for me that is definitely like when i make major misplays early mm-hmm. right like the easiest way for me to tilt is to either try and do a a dive strat or mm-hmm. if i try to do something early in the game like turns one or two and it fails mm-hmm. like an early mistake like that for some reason can set me off for the entire rest of the game mm-hmm. and like it's a game you're not going to succeed every possible attempt you're going to make right that logically makes sense right but if you tilt early in a game it almost feels like it's worse because as you keep playing you i I keep thinking about oh geez and all this is because back in last turn i had the boneheaded idea to walk out of my deployment against seamus for sure or whatever and again it's a game if you're not having fun why why are you doing it yeah, I, I think like this especially too, and I think probably coming out of like pandemic as well, where I think most people are gaming it's online, where it's like you can rage quit and there isn't really much of a fallout from it, right? Because you're like one mm-hmm. of like a thousand or a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. in person tournaments or start going back to regular play days. It can have a much longer lasting effect, and yeah, it can be kind of difficult to like I guess rebuild rapport if you manage to like damage it with someone. And and not even just like individually, but consider the community. Like mm-hmm. if you're in a local store and you're playing and someone loses their cool and mm-hmm. it's like, what the blip, 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 and, you know, walks away. Everyone in earshot's going to hear that. Everyone's going to see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you are in any way, not to get highfalutin, but when you're playing a game at a store, you are kind of ambassadors for that game and that community. Yeah, for sure. Like I've had, I've definitely had people come up to us while we were playing, you know, Malifaux at, at my local short store, and they'll be like, "What you playing? Oh, we're playing this. Oh, cool." And we start conversations, and then I haven't had, you know, we have a good shop. I don't have people who are screaming there, mm-hmm. but I can only imagine if you go to a place and someone's like, "Oh, this is Derbyder," insert whatever you want for Derbyder. <laughs> you know, I'm I wouldn't want to play a game if my first experience is someone cursing about it, right? Right. For sure, for sure. I would say that one thing we wanted to talk about and it kind of got away from us in the like so much in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. It's it's oh god, it's almost midnight my time. That's why. Oh, okay. <laughs> um is you mentioned earlier like might have been pre-show. That's another tagline. We should call that the late name for the episode. Might have been pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> um, was the differences in the meta and hiring choices from local events where you know everybody and what they like to play mm-hmm. and tournaments or online things where there's less restrictions on what they'll play. You have less information about them. And does that influence you in any way? Mm-hmm. Right. And like for me, I know that my local guild player plays Bass and Perdita. That's it. He doesn't like the other ones. Mm. He's tried and he just keeps going back to those two. 
myself, I can't stick to something. You can almost guarantee if I played Neverborn this week, you you won't not have to worry about Neverborn next week. <laughs> I'll be off in Outcast Land or something. And it absolutely will influence my choices. You know, I have a Neverborn player in my locals who I know he likes Titania, Dreamer, and he's trying out Euripides right now. Mm. So I go into the matchups and like I case in point, I had just built and painted Avon Shill 2, his title version. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want to play this. And I'm going to face Adam. Mm. Well, let's see how bad he is into Titania or Dreamer. Mm. Ended up being Titania. Turns out Von Shill 2, pretty good into Titania. Bulldoze is a hell of a thing. <laughs> but when it comes to tournaments, I definitely focus on the pool first. Right. You know, I am not really going to try and, you know, some people will will bring their tournament trays and they'll put their pieces on the tray and they'll carry it around so you can see what they have access to. Mm-hmm. I don't bother. I don't bother with that, like, operation, you know, opponent info. You don't do your scouting. Oh, yeah. No, like, because the thing is, there's going to be more pieces on there than your opponent's going to bring. I've definitely done things where I pulled stuff out, put it on my tray because I wanted to get to the other stuff I was going to play mm-hmm. and not trying to like throw people off from scouting. But if they're like, oh, you're going to play Ophelia, huh? And then I jump somewhere. They're like, wait, I didn't see that on your tray. Yeah, it's just putting it there to hold it. I just I think it's more important if you're playing in a competitive setting, in a organized play setting, that what you have control over and what you have knowledge over is what you go off of. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, that's the pools and not much else. For me, I definitely pick to the pool, the board, and then worry about what my opponent might have. If there's some person who's like soloing a list at an event, maybe I'll consider that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I never I, I don't know. Maybe they pick that list and then they had something separate for the final round because they planned it like they did practice rounds beforehand mm-hmm. or they're like me. And I have one set list of Nakima because that's what I built and painted. I don't know that. So I go with what I know and adapt at the table. Yeah. Like now that you mentioned that, I, I think it's kind of a little interesting because I think I play in a similar way. If I'm playing in a tournament or going into something, I always play with the mindset that I should never use like information outside of the game to my advantage like knowing what they have available what they could possibly bring like if they're soloing a master but then Mm -hmm. i remember i was watching i I was just in one of those youtube deep dives i was watching like a bunch of boxing videos i don't know why Mm -hmm. but i remember one of the things they mentioned is like um this boxer is talking about how like they had a fight lined up and then their opponent dropped last second and someone offered to sub in for them but they refused to fight them because they're like well i don't know who you are i haven't studied how you fight at all so it'd be kind of reckless to go into that fight and that's and then i mean Mm. i didn't ever really thought about it because like in my mind it's like oh you're a strong fighter you just like fight anyone and you win right it's like a very like binary thing either you're a better fighter or you aren't Hmm. so it was like really interesting to think and i mean it makes a lot of sense too right because people have very different styles very different approaches and Mm -hmm. if you're actually trying to maximize your performance you want to train and prepare for that absolutely i mean look at um the national football league or the 
Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. There's there's practically a cottage industry in those sports about how to interpret other teams' playbooks and play calling mm-hmm. and figure out what the opponent's going to do mm-hmm. and adapt and have responses to it. You make a good point. You make a valid point. There's certainly room for doing that information, gathering that information and using it, mm-hmm. especially if you know the person. Yeah, I think the weird thing for me is... I always feel weird if I feel like I'm giving myself some kind of advantage over information I shouldn't have. So like, I won't scout an opponent and use that knowledge to like, make my list better. But like, playing in the shop, if I know like I'm playing against a newer player, and I know they're gonna play this crew, I will like, never like do counter picks against it. So if I like know it's like a new player that's like their second game, they're playing Euripides, you know, I'm not gonna bring in anyone that has like blow it to hell or like really easy terrain removal. But I think that's also kind of because I guess my goal for that is different since like in the local scene, I'm always constantly trying to like grow it. So I want to make sure that if they're playing this master, they get the experience of playing that master. Whereas like if I'm playing in a tournament, fuck that shit. (laughs) I'm going to try to pick the fuck out of you. You're not going to have like a single ice marker on the table. Well, at the same time, I think like I think the key point there is that you're talking about is is newer players. Mm-hmm. I I do think that they should have a good first couple games, you know, really enjoy it, mm-hmm. know that they can win, mm-hmm. and, and get to do the cool thing, and then like in most video games, like right, you have your tutorial level to teach you how to play the game, and then afterwards you start. Oh, now we're going to start introducing you to the concept of counters, right, and Oh my gosh. Now you maybe have to learn a thing or two and you can grow and mm-hmm. gain skill in the game. But you always have the memory of like, I had a few good games with that crew. And I mean, you don't have to be necessarily covert about it. You can say like, hey, we're going to do, you know, an intro game and then we're going to start playing a little more tightly here mm-hmm. uh, and introduce different rules. And some people just want to play a little more casually anyway. Yeah, there are groups of people and there are days when I want to when I want to play something, I'm not looking to play something super cutthroat. Right. I told you I was building Benny and and Rats because mm-hmm. I had just picked up I picked up the convict gunslingers because that's all the Parker I really want to finish up because I have Parker's crew from a while ago mm-hmm. and everyone's talking about how banditos are terrible. Convict gunslingers are terrible. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to play cowboys. So there's a day I just want to play Cowboys. Mm. What did you know? What I go up against someone who's wants to try Rasputina. Okay. You know what? I'm not going to blow it to hell. Those ice pillars with, with mad dog this game, unless it becomes absolutely necessary. And I'll take a bunch of guns. He'll have a bunch of cover. Mm-hmm. He'll get to benefit from all his stuff. I'll get to play Cowboys. It's win-win. And I guess, yeah, it gets back to what you were saying about what you're trying to get out of it and, when you're trying to grow the community, you're not trying to get a win. Your win is getting that person to say, I'm coming back next week. Yeah. And to be clear, like, I don't, I won't like sandbag myself against the new players, but I just, I guess like the biggest goal for me is I want them to know what it feels like to play that master and like how they should be using them. So I guess, mm-hmm. you know, like in your example, when you start counterpicking them, they know what their like peak performance for that master is. And now they have to see like, what they can do to try and get there past all these roadblocks now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wasn't suggesting sandbagging. I don't think sandbagging is good. I feel that's not manipulative, but it's like it's not honest. 
but you can absolutely play with a, a handicap brewmaster two with moon shinobi which is still really good but it's not like oh you can't kill my six stone minion until you know their tricks and find ways around it so i i guess on that note i think since it's probably like their wrap up soon i i'm kind of curious do you have like a very different selection process for like crews or how you approach things um between the in-person tournaments versus vassal or is that pretty similar because it sounds like there is or it seems like, from my understanding, you have a fairly similar mindset to me when it comes to like regular game nights versus tournament play. But you know, you mentioned there's a lot of difference between Vassal and in-person play. There's not as strong of a social aspect. The maps are very different. And if you want to, you are able to plan because you get the maps and the schemes and everything like a week before. So do you find like how you approach Vassal games to be particularly different from the in-person tournaments? Or Yes and no. The, re- the yes is... Most of the events I've gone to have given me the the pools beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what my habit has been is to look over the pools and see, okay, what kind of masters would I take for each of these pools? And in person tournaments, I take it a step further because travel and space is at a premium when you're at an event mm-hmm. because you have to be able to carry your pieces around. You have to be able to get them out and and use them. So I will try and limit myself to here are the the rounds. I want to try and get an idea of what I want to play in those rounds. Magic Christmas land. I can play one keyword or two keywords in multiple rounds. And then I just pack those keywords at the second panic series. We played indoors. The first one was outdoors. And let me tell you, outdoors Malifaux is amazing. (laughs) You get sunshine, you get your vitamin D get the you know wind but it's not too windy it was great did anyone lose any models uh, no models uh got knocked off it was great i didn't have space for my cards that was not so great <laughs> <laughs> like i was balancing cards on the edge and we did have a few widget boxes that got knocked over Ooh. and it was a terrible loss the yards eat tiny tokens we were playing at the the second panic series I get my zip crew out for turn for crew round one. And I was two seconds away from just picking zip to zip again into the second round mm-hmm. until I saw my opponent was playing Mei Fang. Mm. And I was like, well, I can't really do that in this scenario because she's just, I can't deal with her armor. Mm-hmm. So I pulled out my Von Schill, but because of timing and stuff, now I'm starting to juggle all these pieces. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to get real like feeling the time crunch because I'm playing while putting pieces away to the point where for the third round, I didn't even bother to change out my crew just for expediency's sake. You know, Mm. I didn't want to bother pulling things out. Mm -hmm. So I do think that in person events, I try and limit my keywords and I focus on what I have Mm -hmm. out of what I have, what can accomplish the most of these pools. Mm -hmm. and then like plan to go in with those and make the, those decisions before game day and then give myself an out. If you know, I pick the, I, I draw into the hard counter to my crew. Mm-hmm. So like if I am playing zip and for some reason, my opponent decides to declare English Ivan, well, I I'll, I'll pull out Von Schill because there's no way I'm taking him into English Ivan. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also kind of makes me think because I keep talking about War Machine, even though I never played it too much, but I've read a lot about it, so maybe my information isn't too outdated. But 
I think the normal way that they play tournaments is that you actually had two lists. Right. And then, so you're pretty much locked in. And like thinking about it, I think now with how the new titles are shaking out, that, like, I'm thinking if I'm playing the next tournament, that might be a good way for me to do it. Cause I'm hearing what you're saying, and I could definitely see me running into the same issues where I'm going to bring like, I'll bring like everything I have in this faction. I'll decide at the time. And then I'm just like trying to pick through everything versus being like, all right, this is my go to crew and list. And then if my matchup is terrible, I'm just going to go to my backup. And we'll see what happens. And I find if you want to really get that feel for soloing a master Mm -hmm. or a keyword, a tournament's a great place to do it because A, you can force yourself to play it by only packing that thing (laughs) and leaving everything else at home, Mm -hmm. which I did for the first series. And then you don't have to worry about it. And... I for me the biggest thing that keeps me from sticking to one keyword mm. is time. Yeah. I'll be jazzed about the idea and then over time the excitement will fade mm. and then I'll start like pondering other things. Right. I'll come back to it eventually, but on a tournament it's all 24 hours of excitement. You can keep that hype going. So, I'm curious then, like so for the first panic tournament you only have that one keyword how you restrict yourself because you didn't have anything else. Mm-hmm. And the second one, you actually had choices. Do you feel like performance-wise, there was a big difference between those two? Or was it mainly like, I guess, like mental and like just having the knowledge of the choice? You know, I think there was a slight performance difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it was, I felt, so for the first series, I took just Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Ju- just that limited Nephilim keyword. Yep. And I tried to really, I said to myself, you know, I don't have all the tools, so what tools do I have? And I had to take an inventory of what I could do. And I was a little more mindful of it. Mm-hmm. In the second series, I took... You know, I've played my a fair bit of Von Schill mm-hmm. 1. I've done a couple games of Von Schill 2. I've mm-hmm. played plenty of Zip. You know, those were the two I brought. Mm-hmm. Because I was more comfortable with those keywords, mm-hmm. I paradoxically was like, going with my comfort picks with them because I was spending too much time moving pieces around and trying to go faster. Yeah. That I ended up taking what I think would have been a, a, a not the best choice in the third round. Okay. The third round of, of that, not to go too far into it, I played into a, a guild Nelly list mm-hmm. and it was on the new gaining grounds, three cursed objects, which is, you know, you would think, oh, Von Schill and Tonelli, Von Schill's the aggro crew right away, right? But the Nelly crew has a bunch of things that disrupt my ability to do what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't even bother to think about stuff like if I try and do rocket spam, oh, he clusters around Fiona and I have to target Fiona, who has oh. armor and stones and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, I'll just load up Eric with focused and have him dive in and kill her. Oh, wait, uh, Nelly has an offensive obey attack and just sent Eric to go kill my engineer before it activated, spending my focus and his rocket boots. Oh, hmm, that's not great. I guess I was too busy thinking about trying to be fast and use crews that I knew that I didn't bother to look at all the options. Whereas with Nikima, I was like, I'm not as familiar, so let's reevaluate what my opponent can do to me and what I can do to them. And that caused me to find out like, ooh, I can do this. I can do that. 
it feels like counter to what I've heard other people say about tournaments and bringing what you know. But I think that gets more to the familiarity can sometimes breed laxity. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, tournaments can be a little draining with Malifaux. So round three of an event, you're probably going to be making more mistakes. So I don't know that it really was a big thing, but limitation can breed creativity if you have that mindset. Yeah, I think that's very true. It's like when you have carte blanche to like do whatever you want, it's so hard to make a decision. Whereas like, all right, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's like, well, fuck. <laughs> I have to figure out some way to do this. So maybe then you have to figure out creative uses for your tarot tots. Oh, they they got so much work done. It was great. I I, I hate the models. I can't. I, Nekimo's it's always been cool, but the tarot tots just like, they they horrify me. Just that, like that's valid. <laughs> that, that is valid. I I only use them for so long until they turn into young or another corpse. Hmm. Uh, when you can throw them in the middle of the enemy crew and then ping them for damage and then they just bleed everywhere. It's great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um. I think that about does it. I think if we keep talking, we'll end up in another tangent. So mm-hmm. was there like anything else you want to conclude on? Was there anything you want to touch on um, before we wrap up the episode? Um, one of the things I really wanted to go on is that I, as we proceed into the new year of or new season of the US Faux Tour, I do hope other co- conferences look to starting to host more in-person tournaments. I know everyone do what's best for you and your health and safety. Do not go to tournaments if you're not feeling it. But we are starting to have them, and they are a wonderful experience if you are able to attend. If you're a new player to Malifaux, you've just you've picked it up during quarantine and you haven't been to an event before, definitely reach out to your TOs beforehand. Ask any questions you have. I would say if you're willing to put yourself out there, I'm sure you're going to. I would expect you to have a wonderful experience. And the more folks we have attending events and rebuilding this uh, organized play circuit, the healthier the game as a whole is going to be, I think. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely agree. It's I think it's a great way for people if they don't have like a solid play group to like get out and get some experience with games and like meet some people that share a hobby with them. Absolutely. With that being said, um, I guess we'll wrap up the episode there. As always, thank you for listening. And we always love to hear your feedback on our episodes, what you liked, what you didn't like, what kind of content you would like to hear in the future. We are on Facebook. We have a Discord. I feel like there's another method of communication that's escaping my memory right now. Might be Um, email. Oh, yeah, that that would make sense. We also have an email. (laughs) It's mostly filled with spam. (laughs) And as always, if you like the show and you wish to support us in other ways, uh, we also have a Patreon where you can contribute that way. And a shout out to all the people supporting us on Patreon. Thank you very much for helping us with um, these like hosting fees and all the miscellaneous costs. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up. So I will say good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.